Today on Not Sam Wrestling, it's not even Christmas and the Royal Rumble wild speculation has already begun. Plus, we answer the question, is MJF cursed? This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Boy, oh boy, welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. So much to get into today. As we are counting down the days, man, this year is coming to a close pretty quick. And I am, this is probably the year that I'm looking, I, I, I don't remember a year that I've looked more forward to making the year-end show, where you get to go down and do, talk about everything that went down in the last year, because... I don't think that any of us really when we put this year into context can believe I mean everything that's happened so far but uh, we'll get into it uh one of the things that happened this year happened this weekend we saw uh AAA put on a show I think it was in Phoenix Arizona if I'm not mistaken and uh friend of the show now who was on just a few weeks ago Sam Adonis uh, who said, I mean, you know, he made his MLW debut last month. Now he's in Phoenix with AAA. And Cain Velasquez is somebody who's been in the news quite a bit because, of course, he's connected with a homicide based on somebody that, uh, well, I, I, in my personal and humble opinion, somebody deserved to be homicided uh, based on what they may or may not have done to a family member of Kane's And somebody close to that person was an unfortunate bystander in the whole thing. Look, I'm not going to get into the case of Cain Velasquez, but the point is that he was in jail for a while. Legit, not like nails. And he was actually brought, put out. He, first, he made bail. And a lot of Cain Velasquez fans were pretty happy about that. But then it was announced, like maybe a week ago, maybe 10 days ago, that the judge had actually given Cain Velasquez permission to work this AAA show. I guess it helped that it was happening in the United States so Cain wouldn't have to leave the country. Uh, but I guess the point is that this is what Cain Velasquez does for a living and you wouldn't want, the judge isn't supposed to stop the man from making a living if he hasn't been found guilty of anything, right? So he gets permission to do this AAA show. So already, it's a big to-do. It's a happening that Cain Velasquez is having this match. Uh, and Sam Adonis is the one who is chosen to be the opponent of Cain Velasquez. And Sam Adonis, I feel like at this point in his career, is just one of those guys who decides to, and he should, and most people should, try to take advantage of, of every bit of the moment that they've possibly got. Who knows how many moments we get in this life. You might as well try to make the most out of all of them. So not only does he come out and play up the heel heat for all that it's worth, because like I said, a lot of Cain Velasquez fans pretty happy that he was on the show at all. And Sam Adonis, it's just in him. And he, and he kind of talked about this philosophy on the podcast a few weeks ago. You can watch that whole interview on the Not Sam Wrestling YouTube channel if you want. But uh, he was talking about how he takes being a heel very seriously. And so he's going to get all the heel heat that he possibly can. And, he, and that's exactly what he did. Not only by being the opponent to Sam Adonis, not only by, like he always does, going into this AAA show and waving the stars and stripes, the red, white, and blue American flag, but he also, he took footage of Mexico losing in the World Cup and plastered his face and a bunch of laughing emojis over it. I mean, I hope Baron Corbin is taking notes because I feel like when it comes to heels who aren't afraid to get heat from their audiences, Baron Corbin is on that list. That's why him and JBL are a good pairing. JBL's on that list. And I think Sam Adonis is on that list too. I think if you ask Corbin or JBL about that spot, they would have to respect it and go like, yeah. I mean, I saw JBL at a at a White Plains house show at Christmas. And the things, two days after Christmas, 
And the things that he was saying about Santa in front of an audience that was a lot of families because it was like an, a matinee show, horrible, horrible. I'm surprised he made it out of Westchester County alive. Uh, but he did, and uh, so did Sam Adonis. So he didn't win the match. I believe Cain Velasquez was able to defeat him. But I was happy for Sam Adonis making the most of everything he possibly could out of that opportunity. Um, a lot happening this week. Um, Royal Rumble talk is already beginning. You know, I and, and, and I am so glad. With six weeks, believe that the Royal Rumble is at the end of January. Six weeks, something like that, to go. Maybe more. Maybe like eight weeks. Well, I guess we're approaching six weeks from now. Maybe like eight weeks from when War Games ended. But whatever it is, six to eight weeks with the build of the Royal Rumble. And not only has the speculation already begun, but WWE is already talking about it. Already talking about And this is so insane and so much fun. I feel like we're just getting over last year's WrestleMania season. And every wrestling fan knows that with the conversation of the Royal Rumble, you can't talk about the Royal Rumble without talking about its WrestleMania implications. But I, I, I love how excited people are that it's already coming up. And I'll talk about the wild speculation momentarily, but I don't know if this was WWE being aware of the speculation and wanting to capitalize on that, or they were going to do this anyway. But they're already starting to plant the seeds for what's going to happen in this Royal Rumble match and premium live event, which I think is great. I think that's one of the few things that could have made this year's War Games even better is if they had more than two weeks to build up to it. I think that going forward with War Games, and what can you do? Crown Jewel is two or three weeks before War Games. There's only so much you can do, I suppose. One can't lead into another because you don't have Jake and Logan Paul ready for the War Games. I don't know. But I think that if you're going to do War Games every year, you should, six weeks out, start plant, start telling the story that's going to lead us to two War Games matches because otherwise it's just War Games for the sake of War Games. I love that they're not counting on the fact that, look, it's the Royal Rumble, Winner goes to WrestleMania. We'll just announce two weeks before who's in the match or not. And people will watch. It'll be fine because it is the Royal Rumble. It's, I would say, the number one or maybe number two behind WrestleMania show of the year for WWE. Certainly show that a casual fan can watch and enjoy. Everybody loves gambling on the Royal Rumble. The Royal Rumble to WrestleMania wrestling fan is a real type of wrestling fan. There are people who tune in for the Royal Rumble to WrestleMania season. And the fact that we're already talking about the Royal Rumble means maybe you're going to get an extra four weeks out of those folks. If we tell the average Royal Rumble to WrestleMania fan that, look, people are already declaring, maybe they'll start tuning in early. Maybe they'll start watching now before the holidays even hit. Because on SmackDown, Kofi Kingston made it official. Kofi Kingston announced that he was the first superstar to declare entry into the Royal Rumble. And this debate, you know, there's always a debate around this stuff. What superstars can declare? Why can some superstars declare? I'm fine with it. I think some superstars can declare. If you're not going to have on-screen general managers that have some kind of grand, here's where we announce the participants. I mean, look. Back in the day, in the quote-unquote golden era, you would just have Mean Gene Okerlund at the event center. And he'd say, we're going to announce eight people that are in the Royal Rumble, and then next week we'll announce eight more. And it would just be... And then Mean Gene would just start cycling through the photos and the names would come at us. So it's not like these 30 superstars have ever had to win qualifying matches. Now, there will be superstars, and I'm sure, you know, if you tell the right story, maybe some superstar that hasn't been in the main event of a pay-per-view. Maybe some superstar that has a, a, a beef with an authority figure. Maybe some superstar where it wouldn't make sense for both to be in, but only one can be in. Sure, there are stories to tell. But I think outside of those, why not just have somebody like Kofi Kingston? Who, if you main evented a WrestleMania and won the WWE Championship at said WrestleMania, 
And it was so significant that they began calling that moment mania, but replacing the word wrestle with your name, then yes, I think you can going forward declare entry into the Royal Rumble. So I am okay with Kofi Kingston declaring himself in the Royal Rumble. We are theoretically going to have 30 men in one Royal Rumble match and 30 women in another Royal Rumble match. Uh, so far, I'm going to have to pick based on the people who have said they are in the Royal Rumble. I think Kofi Kingston is probably my pick to win the whole thing. Now, uh, he might not once uh, the second person or even third person introduces who they are, declares themselves an entrant in the match. Um, but Kofi Kingston is not the name that's been thrown around. Uh, I saw all over social media this week, a lot of people fantasy booking the Royal Rumble, and we're getting into fantasy booking WrestleMania season, which I think is especially prevalent with Roman Reigns because the Roman Reigns story has been so well told that we actually wrap our heads around telling a story going into WrestleMania. Oftentimes, there is no story going into a lot of these bigger matches. And you just go, yeah, this is the match. But now that there's actually stories being told, you go, oh, I'd like to have a shot at telling a story in your fantasy book. Um, what motivated people to fantasy book the Royal Rumble this week was that there were rumors. I don't know if this was a Meltzer rumor or from someplace else. But there were rumors that The Rock was discussed as uh, being a possible entrant and winner of the Royal Rumble match, which was very funny because Brian Gewertz, uh, who's been on this podcast as well before, responded to that with a tweet of uh, some of the things that were quote-unquote discussed uh, when he was a head writer of the WWE, which I think was his way of saying everything is discussed. This doesn't mean anything. Anything. The idea that 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 anything was discussed is like, you know, Sam Roberts could have been discussed to be a winner of the Royal Rumble. It wouldn't mean that at any point there was a serious shot of Sam Roberts winning the Royal Rumble match. So uh, that said, would it be such a bad thing if The Rock won the Royal Rumble match? I don't think The Rock's going to win the Royal Rumble match. I think that uh, this is Triple H's first Royal Rumble. He's on a good run of pay-per-views, man. If The Rock wins the Royal Rumble match, the story of The Rock winning that match would have to be so good that we as fans could wrap our heads around it. There's one thing that Triple H is doing. I feel like uh, for a long time in WWE that the, the hardcore fan and the needs and wants of that fan uh, in a lot of cases came secondary to how do we get some mainstream pub out of this. And while mainstream pub is still very, very important in this era of WWE, you look at Logan Paul getting a shot at the WWE title, you look at everything Bad Bunny did, while yes, Vince was still in charge, Bad Bunny, I think if you hear Triple H talk about it, was clearly a Triple H pet project. So the idea of, of celebrity involvement and getting some mainstream pub is not something that is foreign to Triple H, but I also think that when you look at the people that Triple H has brought back, when you look at the the effort that is going into the stories that are being told, the nuance that is being told, the, the rewards that you get nowadays for watching programming week to week, I think that there is a new added emphasis being put on the week to week, quote unquote, hardcore WWE watcher. And with that said, I don't think that Triple H would have The Rock come in just for the sake of the fact that it's The Rock, it's the biggest star in the world, and have him win the Royal Rumble because fans love the Royal Rumble. And, I mean, this screwed up Roman Reigns. The Royal Rumble has made, can make or break people, right? Batista got screwed up bad by the Royal Rumble. Roman Reigns got screwed up bad by the Royal Rumble. Ric Flair, in terms of the WWE in 92 was made by the Royal Rumble. Uh, Yokozuna was made by the Royal Rumble. Uh, Bret Hart, you could argue, was put on another level by the Royal Rumble. Shawn Michaels became a made man after the Royal Rumble. It, it, those two guys definitely got skyrocketed because of the Rumble. But uh, it can go either way is my point. So... Uh, 
I don't, I also don't think that The Rock needs to win the Royal Rumble. Like, if you've got The Rock, I don't understand the question of, well, how do we get The Rock to, how do we get to The Rock versus Roman Reigns at WrestleMania? Because clearly that's why The Rock would win the Royal Rumble. So we could get the head of the table match, Rock versus Roman. You don't need The Rock to win the Royal Rumble to get there. Right? You 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 don't need to give fans a reason as to why The Rock is getting there. The Rock doesn't have to win the Royal Rumble. The Rock doesn't have to win the Elimination Chamber. The Rock doesn't have to do anything except show up and go, hey, I'm here to fight Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. And fans go, okay. Now, I've said this before, and I want this plastered on a billboard for everybody to see. Because for some reason, it feels like there are a lot of fans, and I hope that this doesn't rub off on WWE decision makers, because it would be a bad idea. There are a lot of fans who have kind of put the idea out there, and I don't even like this idea in the universe because I'm so scared of it, that Roman would wrestle twice at WrestleMania. He would wrestle uh, a challenger on the first night. He would lose the title on night one. And that way on night two, he could wrestle The Rock. This is, to me, a hideous idea. The only reason that Roman Reigns has been champion for two years, has stacked legends on top of each other, has beaten Brock Lesnar over and over again, has beaten John Cena, has tapped out Braun Strowman. The only reason all of this keeps happening is to make it meaningful when he loses. Even when Roman doesn't have to lose, whether it be because of triple threat rules, whether it be because of war games rules, Roman still wins. Because it's not just about winning the title. It's about getting Roman's shoulders to the mat. That's when people who were like, oh, Roman can get pinned at the Rumble, at the, at the war games, and it could set up a match later down the road. Roman can't get pinned. Because that's the moment. The first guy to beat Roman is the first guy to beat Roman, and that doesn't go away. Now, what the last thing that you want to do is not cash that in for everything that it's worth. Everything in storytelling has equity. You are building equity into everything. And to not get all your equity back, it's like building a house, right? And then... Or it's like buying a house. It's like buying a house and then spending five to 10 years adding additions to it. A new sunroom, a pool in the backyard, a bigger garage, new windows to keep the house beautifully heated during the winter. And then at the end of adding all these additions, putting all this equity into the house, you sell the house for exactly what you paid for it. Why did you put all that equity into the house if you're just going to sell it for what you paid for it? If all you're getting back from the house is what you paid for it, don't just add all these additions for fun. It's equity. Storytelling is the same way. When you're telling a story, you do things for a reason. And if things are done well and things are done effectively, it's equity. You're adding equity to the story. So... When you're having Roman plow through your entire roster, you can't do that for nothing. You can't just do that because it'll make Roman the man. You can't just do that because, oh, but if we haven't beat everybody, imagine the pop tomorrow. Okay, but we got to think further than that. How do we get our money back? How do we get our equity back? With all the materials that we spent building the garage, and the sunroom. We could have just built another house, right? Why, why did we do all that if we're not going to get our money back? Why did we plow through our entire roster to put this guy on the top of Mount Olympus? Why did we do that? And the answer is so that on one night, one person can beat Roman Reigns, take his title. They literally took a championship off of a show, Raw had its own world title. 
They removed it from the show. Raw hasn't had a world title since WrestleMania. They've, 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 they've made everything go without. Why? Because we're adding equity. We're building equity. We're making something even more valuable to the big picture of all of this. And what is that thing? It's Roman Reigns and the amount of equity he's going to be able to pass along when he loses the title, which is why it doesn't happen to happen immediately. If it's still effective, right? If we are still effectively adding equity to this storytelling piece, then there's no reason to not continue to do it. And I don't think there's any way you could argue that Roman Reigns is not effectively having equity added to him. Everything going on with Sammy and the Usos adds equity to Roman Reigns. Why are these grown men bickering with each other? Because they want the approval of the tribal chief. Why do they want the approval of the tribal chief? Because he controls the industry. Which means that whoever defeats the tribal chief has defeated the man who undeniably controls the industry. So the idea of having somebody beat Roman for the title on night one of WrestleMania and then having Roman fight The Rock, regardless of who wins, on night two of WrestleMania is so bad for me because what you're doing is on night one, you're going, that guy right there is the man, whether it's Cody, whether it's Sami Zayn, whether it's Sheamus, whether it's Drew McIntyre, if on night one, one of those guys, whether it's Seth Rollins, if Seth Rollins beats Roman Reigns on night one and he holds both titles up in the air and the fireworks go off and Seth Rollins is finally sitting on the throne and we go, man, night one of WrestleMania was great. And we go back to our hotels in beautiful Los Angeles. It'll end early because of the time difference. We'll go out. Maybe we'll get a couple of cocktails at Dave and Buster's, make a night of it. And then we'll, we'll, our heads will hit the pillow. We'll have all these visions of, of, of sugar plums dancing in our heads. And then we'll wake up the next morning, ready for another day of WrestleMania. And we'll think, here comes night two of WrestleMania. What's the biggest match you could possibly have? The Rock versus Roman Reigns. It's the main event tonight. Well, why is that the biggest match you could possibly have? Because it's The Rock versus the biggest superstar in WWE, Roman Reigns. What did you just say? I said, it's The Rock versus the biggest superstar in WWE, Roman Reigns. And where is Seth Rollins? He's on a plane. He's going back to Akron or wherever he's from. Seth's not even on. No, he's not here. Roman's closing tonight. If Roman closes night two of WrestleMania, who cares who beat him on night one? It won't matter anymore. Whoever beats Roman Reigns should have a career-making moment, should have the moment of all moments. It's the same reason why I don't think Sami Zayn should go to WrestleMania and beat Roman Reigns. Because for Sami Zayn, I feel like that character, all the money would be in the chase. There are types of champions where, where, where that's, that's who they are. That's what the draw is, is the chase. The chase to that title. I, I want to see that person become the champion. Ultimately, Daniel Bryan was a guy, except for when he was a villain. Once he was a villain, him running around with that eco-friendly title was about the greatest thing ever. But WrestleMania 30, it wasn't about anything that happened after WrestleMania 30. It was about the chase and getting there and having that moment. Kofi Mania the same way. It wasn't about anything besides getting there and getting that moment. Now, those things can happen. Is tough for Daniel Bryan, and unfortunately, he had to give up the title not too long after WrestleMania. 
But for Kofi, I think it was okay to tell some stories with that because you had a universal champion as well as a WWE champion. You had Seth Rollins as the universal champion at the time. So um, I think with Sammy, the problem is not would that or would that not be the greatest WrestleMania pop of all time? If Sami Zayn beat Roman Reigns in the main event of WrestleMania, it would quite possibly be the greatest pop in the history of WrestleMania. But what would happen the next night? What would happen at Backlash? How do you tell that story? Now that Sami Zayn is sitting on the throat, that's why I think that the key for Sami Zayn is playing to the strengths of what he's been doing. Not what he's capable of, because Sami Zayn has proven he's capable of just about anything. And maybe you can tell a story at some point where he's doing a character that would hold that title for a long period of time. That's nowhere near out of the realm of possibility. Sami Zayn has proven himself to be one of the most incredibly talented, varied performers of this or any generation. But the character that he is playing right now, based on where it has come from and based on where it is probably going, is all about the chase. I think that, as I've said, Montreal is the place for that. They announced uh, that I, I believe they're almost sold out already uh, for the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view in February in Montreal. I think that's where you get your Roman Sammy singles match. And then you can spawn off that and have Sammy go to WrestleMania either with Sammy and KO versus the Usos or my pick, which would be Sammy versus KO. You've also got the solo Sokoa of it all. Um, and that's an interesting one because, well, I'll talk about it in a minute. So do I think The Rock's going to win the Royal Rumble? No, I think that, that the answer to that question is... You, number one, as I said before, you don't have to have him win. Number two, I think you should do Roman versus The Rock at WrestleMania if you can do it. I think Roman versus The Rock is the night one main event. I think whichever main roster active superstar who goes to WrestleMania to challenge Roman Reigns, and I think there needs to be one this year, I think that person, number one, maybe they also have a match on night one of WrestleMania. So you do this like uh, Brett Luger rules where, you know, Brett versus Yoko is the main event. But because Brett had his match with Owen earlier in the night, Yoko also has a match with Luger. So both men are coming in with a one match deficit. I think that you can do that. Let's say... It's Cody. A lot of people think it's Cody. Maybe night one, you have Cody versus Seth. Night two, you have Roman versus Cody, right? Night one, you have Roman versus Rock, Cody versus Seth. Night two, you have Cody versus the winner of Roman versus Rock. And you put the title on the line of Roman versus Rock. Because number one, there's no reason not to. And number two, I think the point is that you go into WrestleMania with a Roman Reigns who has beaten The Rock. I think that when you go into WrestleMania, you list Roman's credits and you talk about everyone that he has knocked down in front of him. And The Rock is now on that list as he walks into night two in SoFi Stadium. I think there that's 1,000%. Saturday night, Roman versus The Rock. And you'd have a similar feeling. The same way on Saturday night you did... KO versus Stone Cold. But Sunday night, you had The Rock versus, I mean, Ro, uh, Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar, right? Because that's now we're getting down to business. And you could tell a story where maybe there is some beef between Cody or whoever and The Rock. So you're thinking it might really be The Rock. They might want to have Cody beat The Rock. I also, uh, I also, but I don't, I'm not sold on the idea that it should be Cody only because it's predictable. I think the way a lot of people have it being played out right now is that Cody returns as number one in the Royal Rumble, goes through the whole thing, wins it, goes to WrestleMania. He's the one who dethrones Roman. 
I think the fact that it's so laid out like that for a lot of people leads me to believe that that might not be the way to go. And that maybe, I mean, look, if everybody wants that to happen, then just because it's predictable doesn't mean it's a bad thing. But maybe it's too predictable. And maybe it'll make it tough for Cody, again, coming off of that Roman Reigns win. I think there are a few things that you can do. You can have Cody win the Royal Rumble. If I were, if you were to ask me right now who should win the Royal Rumble, and I believe a few months ago I said the same thing that I'm going to say today. I think Roman Reigns should win the Royal Rumble. He is my pick. I think Roman Reigns should defeat either, I would say Kevin Owens maybe, and then enter the Royal Rumble match, and I think he should win the Royal Rumble. I think this would push off Elimination Chamber and make it so that because there is only one title, now the winner of the Elimination Chamber is the one who faces Roman at WrestleMania. It would also make it so that Roman maybe at first thinks that he gets to pick who his opponent's going to be at WrestleMania, and that's when The Rock comes out and kind of pushes Roman, peer pressures Roman into picking him. And then maybe Cody or whoever wins the Elimination Chamber. Now, there's two things, there's a couple of things that you can do with Cody. Like, I like the idea, if you're going to do Cody, because I'm not, I like, I, I think Seth Rollins could be a really good guy to main event this show. I think Rollins might be the pick for me. Cody coming back, it could be Cody, but I, I, I think Rollins might be the pick. I think that if you're going to, Okay, I'll tell it both ways. I think if Rollins is your pick, you now go into WrestleMania. Roman Reigns has won the Royal Rumble. Roman Reigns has beaten The Rock. Roman Reigns has beaten Sami Zayn. And now he's in the ring with the guy who he's never beaten. He's never beaten Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins beat him by DQ. He's never beaten Seth Rollins. And so you go in going like, oh, this is the moment. They're going to give it to Seth. And then Cody is going to be waiting in the wings. Maybe you don't do Cody versus Seth night one. You do Seth versus somebody else. And you realize that you've got Seth and Cody lined up. So even more so. So you're walking into WrestleMania going like, okay, Roman is one and everything. So there's got to be a reason for this. He's never beaten Seth, so we can keep that going. And clearly, we're going to get another Cody versus Seth match. So Cody versus Seth is going to be your WWE Championship program coming off of WrestleMania. This is all perfect. And then Roman beats Seth. And Roman walks out of WrestleMania as the WWE Champion. I'm sorry, the undisputed WWE Universal Champion. And you're just like, what the hell? Here's my other scenario. Cody does win the Royal Rumble. Seth wins the Elimination Chamber. Cody versus Seth on night one determines who gets the opportunity on night two. You do Cody versus Seth, Cody wins again. Cody goes to night two of WrestleMania. He's fought through everything. He won the Royal Rumble. He had to win it coming in at number one. Paul Heyman, somehow we find out that he's the one who forced Cody to get number one. Cody goes through everybody. He earns his shot at Roman Reigns. He finally gets it. Roman Reigns beats Cody. Roman Reigns beats Cody and still leaves WrestleMania as the world champion. Yes, the WWE undisputed universal champion. Either way, Seth or Cody, I have Roman Reigns winning this year at WrestleMania. Because to me, we missed out on a lot of story with Cody after Hell in a Cell with him going away with the torn peck. If I know Cody like I think I know Cody, I think if we're going to get that dethroning, if we're going to get Cody winning the WWE Undisputed Universal Championship, we are going to have to get 
a year-long underdog story rebuild where Cody thinks that he's John Cena. He thinks he's popping right back from a torn peck, winning the Rumble, going to WrestleMania, winning the title. And he doesn't realize that he gets to WrestleMania and the rebuilding that he's going to have to do hasn't even started because Roman Reigns hands him his first loss in the WWE. And Cody goes on a very slow rebuild. And maybe he loses a, a couple more times at first. Maybe he doesn't. But Roman continues to dominate. Roman now starts uh, being fed a whole new platter of opponents. And I know you're asking me, well, who are they going to be, Sam? Who are these new opponents going to be? There's plenty of people that are now popping up. Plenty of people whose stories haven't been told with Roman. I'm sure Sami Zayn will be able to step back up to the plate post-WrestleMania. Sheamus will be able to step up to the plate. Karrion Cross will be able to step up to the plate. Bray Wyatt will be able to step up to the plate. Hopefully LA Knight pans out and he'll be able to step up to the plate. Rey Mysterio able to step up to the plate. Randy Orton returns. He's able to step up to the plate. We've got another year of Roman Reigns opponents. And all the while, Cody is just slowly building, slowly building, working in silence. We don't start saying, oh, maybe he wants to go back to WrestleMania. No, maybe he wants to go back to WrestleMania. We don't realize until months in that maybe this is where they're going because we have to keep the fans interested. And Cody walks into Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, waving the red, white, and blue. And it's WrestleMania 40 where Cody finally beats Roman Reigns. That's my pick, but I'm, I'm over here planning stories that are a year long. Uh, before we get into my next thing, uh, what's up with Solo Sokoa? Are we watching SmackDown? What is up with Solo Sokoa? Ever since the war games, it's one thing to be an enforcer like Arn Anderson. It's another thing to not be quite on the same page as the group. And the group doesn't seem to notice, especially on SmackDown this week. I mean, you had Jimmy Uso, who was saying, my dog, come on, my dog. You know what they were saying? Jimmy and Jay throwing a party for Sami Zayn in the middle of the ring on SmackDown. And Sami Zayn taking it all in. It was smiles across the board but not on Solo Sokoa. Even at War Games, everybody putting their fingers up. Not Solo Sokoa. Arms folded. Now you could pass this off and say, well, he's the enforcer. He's the strong, silent type. That's what he's there to do. That's all he's there to do. Maybe. Or maybe he's got ulterior motives. What would I like to see happen with Solo Sokoa? Well, this is where I'd love for this story to be going. I don't think that Solo likes what he's seeing. Ric Flair said on a podcast that he didn't like Sami Zayn with the bloodline because he thought it was too much of a comedy act. I'm not saying Ric Flair doesn't understand nuance, but I think there is a lot of nuance that is not being uh, given credence to, if that's your opinion on the story. All that said, there were a lot of hijinks in the ring on SmackDown. Sami Zayn has brought a lot of the yuck yucks to the bloodline. Solo Sokoa is not one for the yuck yucks. Solo Sokoa is the only one when Sami Zayn said Usi and Paul Heyman the tribal chief, head of the table, Roman Reigns, Jey Uso and Jimmy Uso all broke. Solo Sokoa didn't break in a very real way. He stayed stoned face. I think that maybe this character, Solo Sokoa, is not thrilled with the way Sami Zayn is bringing the yuck yucks, the way Sami Zayn is bringing the laughs to the bloodline is bringing the entertainment to the bloodline. I think Solo Sokoa might feel that Sami Zayn is softening the bloodline. 
And he's not saying anything about it because Solo Sokoa is an enforcer. Solo Sokoa is not going to go against the tribal chief. But that doesn't mean he's going to like it. That doesn't mean he's going to involve himself in these things. Solo Sokoa doesn't play around. Solo Sokoa was raised in these streets. He's a street warrior, okay? He's not going to sit around and play, play games with Sammy. He's not going to call Sammy his dog. He's not going to go, oh, boom, 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 with his like uh, famous high five with the Usos. That's not going to happen. He's not going to call Sammy Uso, Sammy Uso, because he was there. He grew up with the Anawais. He grew up as part of the tribe. Ain't no honorary members of this family. Ain't no such thing as halfway crooks. I think Solo Sokoa is feeling that in a big way. I think that at some point we're going to see that that Solo Sokoa doesn't see eye to eye with the rest of the bloodline, okay? At some point, and, and, and the problem is that I can only see this ending with the dissolution of the bloodline. So I can't see this happening anytime soon. But there's two ways that this could go. One is that the tribal chief, the head of the table, is smartened up by Solo. And we, we see the Usos get thrown out. And Roman and Solo, you know, work as a team to give the Usos the business. I think, and, and I'd hate to think they were planting these seeds this early. But I think there is also a possibility that Solo Sokoa may be more in tuned with the tribe than the bloodline realizes. When the bloodline began, Roman was not the tribal chief in the sense that he was in charge of the people on SmackDown that were in his family. Roman Reigns was the head of the table, not only on SmackDown, but for the entire Anawai family. There was a lot of emphasis placed upon the Samoan dynasty in wrestling. The, the Samoan dynasty was the most impressive most important, most dominant dynasty in the history of professional wrestling. And that that is the table that Roman Reigns sat at the head of. In the months that have followed, the emphasis has been far more placed on the bloodline itself, the faction that we see on SmackDown. Paul, Roman, Solo, The Usos, and Sammy. What if Roman has lost sight of the original tribe? What if Roman has lost sight of the Samoan dynasty that we very rarely hear about? But Solo hasn't. Solo is the one who in the past has painted his face to pay tribute to, to I mean, one of the very few that you could argue is the all-time top us, Umaga. That's Solo. What if Solo is the one that's carrying the legacy of Umaga, of Yokozuna? What if Solo is the one that's there for Rikishi and the head shrinkers? What if Solo is the one that is talking to Roman's father and Roman's uncle Afa, the wild Samoans? What if Solo is representing the Samoan dynasty because he doesn't feel that Roman reigns is? What if Solo is being groomed to be Roman's first post-bloodline opponent? What if Solo is being groomed? Maybe the bloodline continues to exist, but they turn babyface. What if Roman and the Usos are good guys and Solo is that first bad guy? I think that there is a possibility that very long term we are looking at seeds being planted for a possible Roman versus Solo match. And if that's what is happening, you have to believe that Roman 
Solo, Paul Heyman, and whatever, whatever other brilliant genius brains are surrounding this thing are orchestrating that right now and thinking about what that is going to look like right now so that by the time that we get there, people aren't going, how are you going to pull this off? Solo's like had a handful of matches. No, we're ready for it because we've been planning this for a long time. I, the way I look at it and the more I think about it, I think that based on Solo's behavior, there is an inevitability that we will see Roman versus Solo Sokoa. With Roman still considering himself the top dog, but Solo considering himself to be the one that's representing the Samoan dynasty. I love that story. Hopefully that's how it pans out. Um, speaking of stories, there are very few people in the wrestling industry right now whose stories are more talked about than Maxwell Jacob Friedman, MJF, your All Elite Wrestling Heavyweight Champion of the World. MJF is talked about all the time. And, and when there are interviews, I just saw Sami Zayn was on Cheap Heat and Peter Rosenberg asked him, you know, who are you looking at outside of WWE? And by the way, professional Peter Rosenberg, he knew exactly what the answer to that question was. But he phrased it in such a way where it's like, it could be anyone, Sammy. Who are you thinking? Rosenberg knew the answer. But Rosenberg is what we call a professional and a great guy. He knew exactly what Sami Zayn was going to say. And Sami Zayn delivered. Boom. MJF is who Sami Zayn said. The same way... Sami Zayn commented on MJF. Apparently, we've got a, a, a mutual admiration society building right in front of us. So uh, Sami Zayn brings up MJF. Everybody brings up MJF. But I was thinking about this, and I'm starting to worry that for as, as good as MJF is, and for as much as he pulls all this stuff off, MJF may be this successful despite being absolutely cursed. And I don't know. I'm an outsider. I, I, I can't tell you if this is a curse, if things are going how they're supposed to be, but this is how I see it, okay? MJF spends all this time building himself up. Well, first thing he does, right? It, it goes all the way back because somehow everything went wrong after the hottest thing MJF ever did in his career, which is not show up for the autograph signing and make the world wonder if he was actually going to be there for his Wardlow match. I have always believed that that was a part of the show. MJF specifically was on this podcast and told me to my face it was not part of the show. He did not say anything to the contrary off the air. And obviously, I've known Max for quite a while. So maybe this is the way Max conducts himself. I don't know. But MJF no-shows the autograph signing. And it's reported by Dirt Sheets and I say that with respect, I don't say that demeaningly, that uh, he bought himself a plane ticket and that he may be leaving town, maybe leaving Las Vegas. Maybe we don't get this Wardlow match because that's the other thing. We've been telling these great stories with MJF. MJF keeps telling good stories. He's telling his best with CM Punk. And Wardlow is such a big part of that. The Wardlow story is told over the course of almost two years. And we finally get to this place where it's going to reach its pinnacle. And MJF is still reportedly being, the way I see it, kind of selfish. But we get, we get our match. And Wardlow wins. Okay? This is where things, for me, start to go wrong. Because MJF disappears for about three months. And while he's gone, I, as a fan of MJF's, would have wanted Wardlow to become the biggest thing in wrestling. The idea is that once beating MJF, your career is made. You know why I want that to happen? Because it means that MJF is a career maker. It means that MJF is such a big deal. 
that beating him makes you a star for life. There's nothing in wrestling that can make you a bigger star than having that thing. And that's what I wanted for MJF. I would imagine that that's how Maxwell envisioned it playing out. I would think that as a businessman, that's how he would want it to be perceived. But while MJF is gone, Wardlow is not the hottest thing in wrestling. Wardlow just kind of, and this is through no fault of Wardlow's, it just doesn't happen. It ju- Whatever was going to happen just doesn't happen. He's there. He's winning matches. People are happy to see him. But the story's not there. There's just no sort of compelling, like, oh my God. Like, I, you know, I was I wanted Wardlow to be the next Batista. And he still could be. And he probably still will be. But I wanted him to be Batista last summer. Then uh, MJF comes back, right? He plays Sympathy for the Devil. Please allow me to introduce myself. He's coming out with that mask on, those Louboutin red bottoms. He grabs that poker chip. And he doesn't unmask himself until the end of the pay-per-view. That, of course, is all out. When MJF reveals himself after CM Punk is able to defeat Adam Page and become the AEW World's Champion. That's who it was, right? No, it was Moxley, right? CM Punk beat Moxley. Or no, he beat Adam Page the first time. Then he got injured. Then he beat Moxley the second time. I think he beat Moxley. Whatever. CM Punk becomes the world champion. MJF comes out on the stage and reveals himself. Okay? And we go, oh my God. What we saw, the great storytelling that we saw between CM Punk and MJF, that was act one of a three-act play. We're about to jump headfirst into act two. And this is looking like it's going to be the Godfather part two, where forever... It's debated as to if the sequel was even better than the original. But before we can get there, CM Punk torpedoes the entire thing, in my perspective, by going and doing this press conference where he shits on a whole bunch of people in the locker room that aren't on MJF, that aren't MJF. And this has nothing to do, this is just in the context of MJF. This has nothing to do with whether he was disrespectful to Tony Khan. This has nothing to do with whether he should have said that about uh, the Bucks and Omega. This has to do with the fact that we had this amazing storyline moment happen on the pay-per-view where MJF finally returned. The unthinkable happened. The voicemail played the whole deal. And at the close of the pay-per-view, perfect. All of us. Instead of talking about the fact that CM Punk is once again AEW world champion, all of us are talking about the fact that, oh my God, the next AEW world championship rivalry is CM Punk versus MJF. That, oh my God, lasted all of 30 minutes, maybe less, before, whether he was gone from the company or not, CM Punk had the whole world talking about his very real life rivalry with the Bucks and Omega. The problem was not in this context that CM Punk, you know, was 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 not doing the right thing by the business or whatever. The problem is that he was he was not following through with this great story that had just been told. So MJF is here going like, okay, I've been building all this stock. I've been ready to tell these stories and everything. And boom, here it is. And Punk is like, well, let me see if I can take all the steam out of it. And boom, all the steam is out of it. And you go, okay, well, what am I going to do now? And the next night on paper, uh, on uh, or, or, you know, a few nights later on Dynamite, they're not talking about it. They can't. But Mox and MJF are in the ring and they have a beautiful moment in the ring together. And they are really standing there as the sort of benchmarks of AEW, which is exactly what the company needed. I thought it was a great showing and a great, great AEW, AEW segment. Um, 
So now we start telling the Mox MJF story. And it doesn't really officially become a story until MJF makes it official. He beats Wheeler, Utah. And he makes it official that he's going to face Mox at the pay-per-view. We have a great, incredible promo segment between Regal and MJF where there you realize there's a bunch of very real history between these guys, right? And that is what is pushing MJF. Now, as the story goes on, MJF starts acting like a, a babyface. I'm still not 100% sure why he was acting like a babyface, but the point is that leading into this match with Mox, Regal is an essential part of this story to the point where it is proven that MJF actually is a villain. When Regal turns on Mox, gives MJF brass knuckles, and MJF knocks Mox out and becomes the new AEW champion. Wednesday night on Dynamite. MJF comes out, he introduces the new uh, big Burberry belt, the new AEW championship that is customized for MJF, which I like in principle. But in reality, I think that the, the Burberry print should have been much brighter and more outlandish. It should have been an eyesore. Like, it was, it's dark. So you didn't even really notice it until the camera zoomed in. It should be one of those things that you see from a mile away that people absolutely hate. That the, the belt has so much heat that people start booing it before you even walk in. But regardless, he tells this story with Regal and blah, blah, blah. And then at the very end, I guess to prove that he's a villain, he's got the brass knuckles on and he punches William Regal in the back of the head. So now you've got a match that had six weeks of buildup. It culminates with Regal turning on Mox for MJF. And before we've even got an explanation as to why that happened, MJF already turns on Regal. And you go, why would that happen? And then PW Insider puts out a report that even though a lot of people believed that William Regal had a three-year deal with AEW, Apparently, somehow, he does not. And they're reporting that it looks like William Regal is headed back to the WWE to go back to working with Triple H and that uh, he'll be back under the WWE umbrella early in the new year. And you're going like, wait. So the only explanation I can find here is that the Regal-MJF story has been cut short because Regal's going back to WWE. So now you've got the story of Wardlow becoming a big star after he beat MJF. Not happening because it just didn't happen for Wardlow. You've got the MJF CM Punk story completely had the legs cut out from it by CM Punk at that press conference. And now... You've got the Regal story completely cut off because Regal apparently is going back to WWE if that's what's happening. How many stories can you expect this poor kid MJF to come up with? I'm starting to have sympathy from him for him from a writer's room perspective. I mean, Jesus Christ. Every time this kid comes up with something, and that we start to dig into it, because clearly, and people want to know, why isn't there more long-term storytelling? Why isn't there more long-term storytelling? Because nothing stays the same. Everything changes so much. How can we do long-term storytelling? That's what MJF is finding out. He's got all these brilliant ideas, all these stories that he wants to tell. But it feels like, whether it's week of or whatever it is, He's just like, all right, we got to pivot to do something else. We got to pivot to do something else. And this is just one man's interpretation. I would love to go behind the scenes and find out what's really going on. 
But the only reason I don't is because if I found out what was really going on, it would make it so much less fun to speculate. And that's why we're all here, isn't it? So we can recklessly speculate about everything that may be happening or may happen in the future. And this I can promise you. We will continue to do that here on Not Sam Wrestling. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Not Sam Wrestling. We've got content going up there every single week. So check it out. I think that you'll really, really like it. Uh, and we will see you uh, again next week. Oh, probably later this week. Episode 425. This is 424. Episode 425, if everything goes according to plan, maybe another early release. The same way a few weeks ago, Nick Aldis came out on a Friday. Yeah, keep your browsers open. Because if everything goes according to plan, we'll have a new episode out on Friday with a special interview. If everything does not go according to plan, we'll see you on Monday for another Not Sam Wrestling.